I'm Sylvia Burgos Tofnes, and this is Deep Roots Radio. Every week, my guests help us connect the dots between what we eat and how it's grown because every single food dollar we spend either protects or degrades the environment, produces foods with high nutrition or empty calories, and either helps pay a fair wage or keeps farm workers among the working poor. We get to make that choice every time we push a cart through the grocery store, visit the farmer's market, and eat at a restaurant. I hope you enjoy this interview. Today we have with us someone who is quite expert, quite knowledgeable, and experienced in fermented vegetables and a beverage called kvass. We have with us Angelica Halstead, who is the Angelica behind Angelica's Gardens family of fermented vegetables and boss. Good morning, Angelica. Thank you for being with us this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Now, Angelica's Garden, that's a label that many, many people rely on and, de- and find at their local natural food store all over Wisconsin and Minnesota. Let's start off with some basic information. Angelica, are you from a farming family? Um, kind of. Uh, I mean, we go back to, I, I go back to my parents who actually are from Chicago, and they were the back-to-the-land folks of the 1970s, so they ended up coming up from Chicago and just really wanting to live off the land, not necessarily make any money on, on farming, but be closer to nature, get away from the rat race, which I think a lot of people really are looking at even these days yet, and uh, just have great food around them, grow it, hunt it, whatever it took, wild forage, you name it. Right. All right, so these were back-to-landers, um, I'm kind of right there in that, in that kind of, sl- slightly in that generation. Maybe they were a little bit older than me, but um, that was a powerful draw. Mm-hmm. That was a powerful draw. And you're right. There are lots of young people, uh, millennials included, who are saying, you know what? I need to do this. I need to get there for myself. I need to understand what my food is like. What attracted you, however, to fermented vegetables? Well, I um, I loved pickles as a kid. I, I mean, my mom used to make um, zucchini relish and pickle beets and all sorts of um, different kinds of canned goods. So I grew up liking sour things and uh, stuff, of course, fresh out of the garden, made into wonderful different uh, products that we could put on our shelves for winter. Um, for me to when I got into fermentation, it wasn't until I actually after I started uh, Angelica's Garden back in '97. Um, that's 1997, and it's you know basically I started off with any kind of value-added product that I could make with the vegetables that I was growing on land over in Minnesota, and um, I was renting at the time. And anyway, I just I had some health issues that I grew up with that I never really acknowledged until I was in my 20s. And then I I started having just really bad digestion, uh, mood swings, different things that were happening to my, that was happening to my body. And I heard about, of course, the Weston A. Price Foundation and Sander Katz, who was, is the uh, creator of the the book uh, Wild Fermentation. 
I just dived in and never looked back. And uh, a friend of mine, too, was making sauerkraut down by me at um, down in Durand, and Wisconsin. And I'm down in Elmwood. And I, I just decided, why not? I mean, cabbage, that's not hard to grow. I can do this. And um, after eating fermented vegetables for years, and now many, many years, um, I have improved my own health and the health of a lot of other people. So you started out with cabbage. Yep. And the thing that comes from the cabbage is the value-added product. Oh, of course, sauerkraut. Sauerkraut, <laughs> sauerkraut. But that's not the sole thing that you can make with cabbage. Your product line, what does it include? Oh, boy. So the basic sauerkraut. And then from there, we have a dilly kraut with dill and garlic, uh, lemon juice. We also have kimchi. Now I have four different kinds of kimchi on the market. Whoa. And curtido, which is a Salvadoran-style sauerkraut. And um, the kvasas. I mean, I, I, I walk around my kitchen. I'm like, hmm, what can I not ferment in here? <laughs> I got all these vegetables, and I want to make stuff with them. So it's a, it's a great, great craft that's an interesting aspect of of what you just said of philosophy you know what can i look around and actually make into a product that would be good for us let's go back to basics for just a minute what does it mean to ferment something what is that well it, that's actually a great question because i think people look at that differently um based on their backgrounds um i basically fermentation is taking salt you know sea salt or even just regular salt table salt and adding it to a vegetable in the cruciferous family which is the cabbage family and all of its relatives like cauliflower and broccoli they tend to ferment very well so you take the salt you mix it with for example cabbage shredded cabbage and you can add a tiny bit of water but you never really want to add a lot of water to your sauerkraut um and you basically knead your cabbage with the salt and uh until it just base the the moisture comes out of the cabbage and then you pack the sauerkraut into a crock crocks or stoneware crocks are i think the best way to ferment uh, sauerkraut and most other things too and you allow that to sit, and you, of course you have to submerge your, your cabbage, your salted cabbage, uh, under the brine and cover it so you don't have bugs going in and out of there. Um, and you allow it to just, you leave it alone. You mm. allow it to just ferment, which means the bacteria that are present on the cabbage, and believe it or not, present in our environment, even the kitchen where you're working, those bacteria, good bacteria, will take over the fermentation process and they will eliminate the bad bacteria from causing any harmful buildup of or growth of bad bacteria. So sauerkraut is perfectly safe to make and eating it raw, I mean, it's delicious. You let it ferment for however long you want. Some people like short ferments. I personally love the long ferments where you get the flavor that comes out and just, you know, it's like a fine wine to me. Um, so it's, it's a basic process. However, it takes some practice. When you have a ferment, like a, like a sauerkraut or a kimchi, has the, I know the flavor has changed, but has the nutritional profile also changed of that food? Absolutely. Um, the, the enzymes are more available. Um, they, I don't know how to say it. They basically... Maybe they're, um, during the fermentation process, they are more released or more available. 
the vitamins in the cabbage or what other other vegetable you're um, fermenting, those become more available. Um, and the bacteria, which are the good bacteria, are also uh, more plentiful. Of course, low. You know, maybe not. It depends on how much time you let them ferment for. And that's something that scientists study is, you know, the bacterial growth in a, in a sauerkraut or a, a ferment. Um, you, you're getting a whole bunch of that good bacteria into your, your, your gut health, into your mouth, into your entire digestive tract, which is where your health comes from. So, you know, we are, we are dependent as a species on the well-being of our digestive tract in order for the rest of us to function. I mean, and we are majority bacteria i mean that's a weird thing we there's more bacteria on and in our bodies than we have cells so pretty well, crazy that is amazing and certainly you're saying something that has uh, recently come to be more and more uh, written about and and reported upon which is the notion of gut health mm-hmm. and certainly how dependent not only our physical health but our mental health and our mental functioning depends on gut health. If our guts do not have, if our intestinal tract does not have that balance that we need of back of good bacteria, we just can't think as well as we would otherwise. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're beginning to call in the popular, you know, science and in popular articles, uh, they're calling the gut the second brain. That as a consumer, and this is something that folks should know who go and buy sauerkraut, is to look at the labels. Um, there are refrigerated sauerkrauts on the shelves right next to my product there that are heat pasteurized. Heat pasteurized sauerkraut is dead sauerkraut. You will get nothing as far as the beneficial bacteria or any bacteria. You're not going to get anything out of that other than possibly the vitamins. You're not going to get the enzymes either. So really look at those labels. Make sure if you're into building your digestive tract with good bacteria and you want to use uh, fermented vegetables to do that, look at those labels. Make sure the product is law, uh, raw. And, the, the you know, for me, I say living cultures abound. I mean, there are wild um, bacteria cultures in there that are beneficial, that are part of um, good digestive health. So you want to look for those things. And I, you know, from my personal experience, I've been fermenting now for, I don't know, 15, 16 years. And um, I'm finding, my thought is, there are not a lot of national brands that can actually make a living food available to the nation because it's a hard product to jar. You know, it's alive. It blows up. It might uh, blow up in transit from California or wherever they're making it. So, ah. you know, there are some new packaging that is allowing for fermenters to ship all over the country. But you know what? Just buy local, organic. Right. Now, we noticed that you sell almost exclusively in natural food stores. Is that a conscious kind of decision on your part? Um, absolutely. Um I feel very uh, passionate about the local um, food co-op community in the Twin Cities and even Wisconsin here. We have quite a, quite a few co- good co-ops. Um, they've been great supporters of mine since I started back in 97 with, with the food products I was selling at the time. Um, and um, I've just built up great relationships with like-minded people, and a lot of those good co-op people are great supporters of our local communities and um, organic farms, and uh, they want to see us do well. They want to see us make a living, and 
I mean, we're we're making a living, and I, I know a lot of people around us are like, "What is she doing over there?" And my my, <laughs> my husband quit his job a couple of years ago. He's on board, so we love dealing with the co-ops because they love us. All right, so we've talked about fermented foods, and one of those in that family of fermented foods is kvass. So mm. What is that? <laughs> That's a, you know, I suppose, it, I mean, it's really very traditional. It's It comes out of apparently Eastern Europe and Russia. And I mean, there's different kvasses, all different kinds. Some are grain-based. In fact, you as a bread maker would appreciate the fact that they um, there's recipes where, where um, in Eastern Europe, they would use old stale bread and they would probably chop it up I'm assuming shred it up or even just cut it in squares and and put it into a crock and add water and salt and ferment that and make a kvass drink out of that it's another way to use your grains you know use using up old bread and I suppose then the pigs out back got the the remains of the the bread that was all fermented yeah a a, a farm was a way of of having to use everything (laughs) of having to use anything and for those who may not even know that word kvass it is a beverage it is a fermented beverage. Now, some of you may know kefir, which comes either as a as a milk kefir, so it's a fermented milk. There's water kefir. Uh, you may know kombucha, which is a fermented tea. Um, there's also fermented green teas. Um, the family of fermented products is huge. It, it includes sourdough breads. Coffee beans are fermented. Chocolate is fermented. The 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 notion uh, cheese, of course, in Wisconsin, mm. cheese is fermented. So tell us a little bit more. What are the main kvasses that you make? So we make a beet kvass, which is also very traditional. In fact, I believe that beet kvass is somehow related to borscht. You use up your beets and you have another use for them in making borscht. So we basically make a salt water brine, very, very small amount of salt. And um, we mix it with uh, chopped up beets and we allow that to ferment in a crock. So a salt watery beady brine and that ferments for up to maybe a month and then I do actually a secondary fermentation where I add organic apple juice to it so it gets a little bit of a fizz and it tastes even better too um and I make a lime kvass as well because I'm crazy and I can ferment so many crazy things I'm like well why not limes and I love (laughs) limes so um and I use my kimchi to actually get the the fermentation process started with the lime kvass because there's so little sugar in lime so right and then I do that secondary ferment with that too it's delicious can you remind me again what kind of kimchi do you make well we we make a actually a non-traditional kimchi I came out with that back in like 2005 and that is a chipotle kimchi I renamed it just recently to better reflect what what's in there um, we actually also have a traditional kimchi that we just came out with, which is with has some um, fish sauce in it and more traditional ingredients to Korea, which is where kimchi originated. Um, we also have a Vietnamese-inspired ferment that is really delicious and like a bowl of pho, which is that Vietnamese soup. Um, and then we have a daikon radish kimchi, which is one of my mm. favorites. I love daikons. So, ah. Uh. But yeah, that's what we're, we're I'm, I can't, can't stop me. <laughs> you know, that's kind of funny because with my, I make very often in the morning, uh, huevos rancheros, Ooh. which uh, has at its base, or rather at the bottom of the bowl anyway, a organic brown rice. And then I do a couple of um, one of our farm eggs, 
uh, over easy. And very often on the side, I have kimchi. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah, my mouth is watering just thinking about it. Kimchi, what a, it's a marvelous flavor, and I'm just fascinated by the ones that you've got. Mm, I should have brought some. I oh. <laughs> <laughs> brought something else. It's like, that sounds fantastic. <laughs> so as you were beginning your business, if you can think back, and you say you, you started your business in 1997, what were some of your major challenges as you started kind of building up your production line? Um, well, big thing was kitchen space. Um, and, you know, now there's, uh, of course, right here is, uh, you know, you have kitchen space right here. And I heard Namery, so that's really awesome at the farm table. Um, you know, that is something I think that beginning uh, producers are really good. It's a hard thing to find. The other thing is having to pay for that kitchen space because right at the beginning of, of this kind of a business, you know, you have a lot of upfront costs. Mm -hmm. and for me, that was a big challenge, too. So finding kitchen space, upfront costs, um, and then trying to piece together how you bring a product to market, which is not straightforward um, in most cases. I'm, it's There's a lot of, you know, there's, there's legal um, details you have to learn about state laws local laws, um, and then, of course, the, the FDA or USDA, depending on what kind of product you're making. So you have to follow all those regulations. You might have to take extra classes to qualify for being a processor. I mean, there's a lot, lot of hoops to jump through. So, you know, it took me a while, but I, I decided to start real young. I decided to just do it right and take the time it, it took to get going. And uh, due diligence, I just took one step at a time and by 2001, I actually bought land down in Elmwood, Wisconsin, and uh, we built right away part of our home. We built a, um, a certified kitchen in our home, and uh, from there, it just, everything kind of took off, but it took a while. Now, do you grow everything that you then eventually make into the product? No, we, I... I wish I wish I could. Um, I grow the important things, the things that I'm having a hard time sourcing. Um, ah. I right now make a sriracha sauce, so we have you know probably a thousand pepper plants for sriracha, and I sell that to the wedge in Minneapolis. Um, and we you know we do a lot of other things like Napa. I seem to never be able to get the right size beets from growers, so I'm growing beets. But for the things that are easy to get, um, like regular green cabbage and red cabbage, I'm sourcing that out to other organic growers locally that we've been working with for years, which is, it's awesome building up local, you know, relationships with farmers. And then they know what you want, you know what they want, and we work together good. Yeah. Now, in, in the years, I mean, it's been over 20 years now that you've been uh, established as Angelica's Kitchen. Any major surprises along the way that you can recall? You know, it's like I, like I said, it's been very gradual and it's nothing really out of the ordinary has been a surprise as far as the business goes. Well, you know what actually has been a surprise is being able to bring my husband onto the farm and do this, you know, as a family. I've, we have two boys and my husband. I never thought that would happen. I was like, oh, he would have his job. And he was a union construction worker in the Twin Cities. And I would have my job out on the farm and making good food. I never thought that it would be the family business. And this is what it's become. So and the kids are involved, too. What a wonderful surprise. Pretty cool. Yeah, to be able to have a business that can lure your husband away from another career yeah. so that you can further build your own business. Well, congratulations on that. Thank you. That's a, that is a very big deal. 
Where can people find, can you name some of the places where people can find your products? Well, they're, of course, down in Madison. There's the Willie Street Co-ops. Um, great, great co-ops. Uh, Fresh and Natural Foods up here in Hudson and Menominee Market. And then a bunch of co-ops in the Twin Cities, Wedge, Sewards, uh, Mississippi Markets, River Market. Um, so I think we're in about 14, 15 different places right now. So Wow. Um, so do you do your own uh, shipping and distribution to these stores? Um, we actually set it up with Co-op Partners Warehouse in St. Paul to go with their their shipments. So we do a pig, piggyback on their deliveries. Oh, that's stores. great. It works out great. So Yeah, yeah because what, that's one of the large challenges of being a uh, small uh, value-added product manufacturer, as well as even being a farmer, is that transportation mm -hmm. to the, to the uh, customer. That can be uh, an amazingly difficult mm -hmm. um, kind of nut to kind of deal with. Well, Dave Corbett, as you listen to all of this, what comes to mind? Well, I was wondering, uh, you'd talked uh, quite a bit about the health benefits of eating fermented foods. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious uh, to people who uh, may be listening, uh, number one, how much of this does somebody have to incorporate into their diet to see some results? And are there any uh, places people could find more information out about that? Oh, uh, great, great questions. Um, I'll answer the last one first. Uh, going to uh, picking up Sander Katz's book, I think, would be really great. Is mm -hmm. you know the basic wild fermentation or his uh, his big book? What is his the? big book is the Art of Fermentation. Uh -huh. Sander Katz, for those who may not be familiar with that name, is America's guru on fermentation. He his books are not only readable, they're fun to read mm. yeah. and very much reflect his personality, uh, but they are highly, highly informative. The wild fermentation is a wonderful place to start because the instructions are so good. Mm. The art of fermentation is a tome. It's now kind of the Bible of, of fermenting. And he goes into all the science and he actually... Um, gives you all of the footnotes going back to the original resource hmm. on why this works. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's actually, if you're just really interested in, in the health aspects, like, like you say, Sylvia, he's, I mean, really got a lot of information in, in both books. Um, as far as quantity to eat, that is, that's a hilarious question because as Americans, we want, we want our prescriptions. We want our like two tablespoons for breakfast thing. It, I tell customers, if you're feeling... Not so great. Your digestion's been off. Eat some sauerkraut. Eat however much your body wants. You know, if you feel mm -hmm. like, oh boy, this is, you know, it's a little strong for me or whatever, you take a bite and you can't eat anymore. That's all you need. If your body's craving it and you're like, oh boy, I could sit down and eat half this jar or half, you know, have a bowl, go for it. Mm -hmm. um, it's hard to prescribe. It's something that if you incorporate it in your daily diet, which I do and my husband does when I tell him to, um, <laughs> you know, and the kids as well, they, I think over time you're going to see the benefits. Mm -hmm. You're not going to obviously see them those next day. You might see some difference in your digestion right away. Mm -hmm. um, so you, it's very much self prescribed you mm -hmm. figure out how much you need yeah. another source and you mentioned this earlier too angelica is going to the website of the weston a price foundation where you can find unbelievable amounts of information very well in, in a in a very nicely uh designed website so that you can easily navigate it 
that will tell you uh, a little bit more about the benefits of these kinds of foods, how to prepare them, and how to incorporate them in your diet. So, you know, some of this is new for so many of us, and there, there is some good guidance out there. So don't be afraid. You know, all of us started with not knowing anything, mm -hmm. and we all take little steps. So just start from where you are. What, what are your thoughts for the future? Um, for the business or just in general? <laughs> for the business. Well, believe it or not, I'm getting into meat fermentation. That's our next step. I mean, we got a beef herd. We have uh, Highlanders and Highlander crosses. I'm, I really am interested in that. That is fascinating. And it seems like it's still new. I mean, it's not new. It's old. But, but it'll be interesting to kind of walk that path. Wow. So we'll be looking out for that. And again, you just mentioned something else that I think people should take some, not comfort and excitement in, which is fermentation is, is a, a way of dealing with food that's been around for thousands and thousands of years. All cultures around the world use fermentation in order to alter not only the, the flavor and get better flavor out of their foods, but in order to store it and to grab more nutrition from it. So what we're doing in uh, so many societies around the world right now is rediscovering a wonderful, wonderful way of, of eating food, eating delicious food. And you, Angelica, and Angelica's Garden has been uh, wonderful introducing so many people to the wonderful foods of fermentation and providing it for people who, hey, we're, some of us may not have the time mm -hmm. to do this and then to have such a wonderful product so easily available mm -hmm. is great. Thank you very much. Well, thank you guys very much as well. Visit my website, bronxtobarn.com, to download this and past interviews, to learn about my farm, and to reserve 100% grass-fed beef. We deliver to Minneapolis and St. Paul, Minnesota. Thanks.